0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, a podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. Jordan, all over the media, the man of the moment, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good.
1: I've got to say, actually, yeah, I'm really good with that being the case. It means I have to do
0: less work. Free publicity. And how are you doing with uh, just personally? Is it affecting you much? No. it was short and sharp (laughs) very concise
1: it was it was for a while but now i uh it's 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 gone to the courts and that is actually not as stressful as you thought if Mm. unlike most people you're not firing you know what if i didn't have an audience that was willing to chuck in a million bucks. Thank you very much, everyone who did that. That honestly is incredible. And I think that we can actually set some legal precedents here. But man, it would be so stressful if you didn't have that million dollars. <laughs> it would be fucked. That's fair. But that's the thing. Court is a rich man's world. Always has been. Yeah.
2: It's I've not stressful
1: at-, at all if you have 30 houses... And then you just like, yeah, I'll just chuck in two of my house's income into that. Don't you That's have more fine. to
0: lose? You have more to lose if your wealth is higher.
1: I think that usually what happens, because most of the time with virtually 90% of court cases, especially ones about property, is usually they just come to a settlement at the end. Because at some point they start to think, okay, this is stinging a little. And then they stop.
2: Hmm.
1: Mostly, it just depends. Usually court is two rich people fighting each other. It's also used as a tool to intimidate poorer people, which is mm. mostly defamation in a nutshell. And
0: so Yeah. I was if- looking at defamation law in Australia. It's pretty pernicious. All the onus is on the defendant to prove that what they said is true. Yes. The US Whereas other it countries right. it doesn't have that.
1: No. Mm. But that's because uh the legal precedents that you're looking at, and that's already happened to the very preliminary court stages that we've had, they're looking at things that were written in 1700, 1800. they're just going back to British wow. common law. And so
0: how did you defame someone then through the papers? I think through the so? telegram? it wasn't even a telegram then maybe
1: just writing a decree and slapping it on a church maybe that was defamation <laughs> i don't i think that is that is technically definite but i think you can sue someone if you put up a facebook post and one other person sees it
0: yeah it if really you can depends. afford the exorbitant lawyer fees what is it 10,000 20,000 a day for just a for just a mid-tier lawyer well, no, nah, high range
1: would be your 20 grand a day. You can get ones for 10 grand, and then you can get people that just the government doles out that would pretty much be there in mm. the court being like, hang on, let me just Google that. You know, it depends. Uh, sky's the
0: limit. Western when it Sydney comes to law lawyers. students. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that co- Cocaine immune. isn't cheap. <laughs> I know. That's what I reckon they get mm. half their fees. You know, if they're getting $10,000 a day, probably 3000 actually going to them, 7000 go going to their Coke habit.
1: What else are they spending it on? I just, I've always thought about that. How much unique art and apartments in Piedmont can you get? I think a lot of it would have to go to drugs, surely. Especially because. That's a, that's a good point. Coke. There would be a reason why all your bankers and lawyers are taking coke. Keeps you sharp.
2: Hmm.
0: If anything, that should be legalized, regulated and produced in Australia because the costs are just out of this world. (laughs) That's a way to get down inflation. (laughs) You start producing coke in Australia and would deflate the salaries of CEOs, lawyers, real estate agents. And solve the Moe Don't Worry problem. (laughs) Yeah,
1: just with that little green kangaroo on the bag.
0: (laughs) Forget the gold standard. We need the white standard.
1: Yeah, I honestly think that would. You, You know what? You know what? Go on. If you did that, you're right. I truly do think that that would act as some form of tax on that parasitic class of society. Like you said, your real estate agents, your financiers, (laughs) they actually would be giving back to society.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, that's probably a really good uh, indication of investor confidence because you know if the demand for cocaine is high, investors are confident. Their investments (laughs) are paying off. They're going to make some money. They're, get, they're getting that Colombian Coke. And also the fact that they're taking heaps of Coke. It's
1: just playing with their brain and making them more confident anyway.
0: Man. This is, this and that is, is, dude, this is, and that this is look- like all of that. Economics is psychological. Providing jobs for people in Western Sydney. Yes. Being dealers. Okay. it You know, just re- reducing inflation. Because the, the, having to import cocaine inflates the, everyone's salary so much. Yeah, and you know, I- improving our trade deficit.
1: Surely, surely, <laughs> can we? Can
0: Australia be? Could just be like the coke, the, the king of cocaine of the twenty first century. Can, can we take grow it over it Colombia? Here? Fuck Colombia! I don't, yeah, I don't know anything about growing cocaine. Do you grow it? How does it work?
2: Where do you know? Yeah,
0: is it diesel? Something something with diesel, right? Or is I that got, crack? I honestly, got it. All I know is from the uh, Narcos on Netflix. They they yeah. do it in the jungle somewhere, and then and then that guy <laughs> just basically had everyone in the Colombian government in his pocket. And I'm pretty sure, like the, you know, the people who have inherited that drug empire are basically still run the entire country. Wouldn't
1: it wouldn't just be them. I'm sure it's all of South America. You'd have to have a huge influence in Mexico because the supply line would be going up that way. Yeah, I do like true. your idea yeah, they- of... It's, it's it's like a nice little slant on the libertarian argument of legalizing all
0: drugs. It's like,
1: no, 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 no. Legalize... Just the one that the bankers use.
0: That's it. Yeah. And then and then make it the best in the world, produce it in Australia, and put tariffs on it for anyone else trying to import it, but make those tariffs less than what uh, it would still otherwise cost from South American countries. Look, we already compete with Brazil for beef exports, don't we? Yes. So yeah, We're used to this game. Exactly. They, they, the they beat us that... in soccer, and we we got to beat them in Coke. <laughs> I think the only
1: place that you can grow it though in Australia would surely be like Cairns, right?
0: Wow! I so Queensland I'm will I'm have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Forget um Adani. Just create a giant Coke, <laughs> the Coke Basin. <laughs> I swear it would make. <laughs> it's awesome. It as makes it gets. so much sense. <laughs>
1: Why are they doing Sniff it? Patient. I'm actually pretty convinced about this idea. I think that is my, my new answer. stance on drugs. I'm still pro all of them being platform. illegal except Coke. Hmm. Even alcohol well, and cigarettes. Get rid of those.
0: <laughs> Make it the only vice available. <laughs> <laughs> we just have a massive comparative advantage in Coke production. <laughs> you know what? I honestly think that could protect. Forget all the like physical side effects, but probably would benefit the the country's economy. Do something what China did where like China now, well, ByteDance owns TikTok and then, but the, the CCP basically has authority over all, all all the Chinese companies, but then TikTok isn't available in China. Just produce tons of cocaine in Australia, but still keep it legal for Australian citizens and then yeah. just export it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, raking that in. So that's a
1: trillion dollar industry. No, they've got that down pat. That's a real Asian way of doing things, of gambling is legal for everyone except the citizens of this country. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you do it, man.
0: That is how you, you do, do what it. Doing. <laughs> the Australian. No, I'm really yeah, pro this moving idea. From like a iron ore to, to cocaine. I think we got it. Yeah, I think that that would Who be a Who needs a, a PhD better, in well. economics?
1: You don't. And that's the whole thing. Drug lords would know more about how the economy... You know what? Actually, like the other day I saw Spanion talking about how he became a drug lord. And it was mm. honestly up there with some of Tony Robbins' finest work. Like he really was breaking down the principles of success. And how that, you are know, starting from the bottom and working your way to the top. Now, granted, because it was about drugs, that gap from starting at the bottom and being at the top took about three months. But still, just the fact that it was on fast forward didn't mean that it was all there. I it's really do think it, that if... It's, yeah, it's,
0: look. if and, and you know they say, oh, the un- un- unemployment is rife in you know, squalid areas of... Well, not just in Australia, in, in America as well. Well, hey, if you legalize drug production, then suddenly all these people are employed legally now. They've got lawful employment. They've got a purpose. They're making money. This. They're doing... <laughs> They've got meaning in their lives. It is... <laughs> Why is it always drug? Like, why is there no other option? Even in the hood, it's like, man, I got no option. I got to sell drugs. What? Like, not, not, not a one other option. That was anything.
1: You do dispel that. I really do think that that's something that people say that aren't part of the hood to try and empathize with the hood. But even Spaniel was saying that of like all these cunts saying, oh, I only could do drugs. That's all I had. That was my only option. Bullshit, there was that your only fucking option. There's still fucking BP and Seven Eleven in the hood. Just go fucking work there. No, you wanted the money.
0: <laughs> he's but not wrong. He's man. right. He's there, not there wrong. There are options in the hood. There's options. There are, there's a library in the hood. You and you know what else book. as well? Like th- that is
1: just their version of white collar crime. And I think it's more, yeah, there's also the fact that they're like friends with the judges and everything else. But I do think that a huge part of it is that uh, with white collar crime, the people that are usually committing it have some sort of degree in law. I also think that that's a big thing. Because he also just got unwound because there was like obviously there was a Stig out to follow him but he was too stupid to deduce that there was a Stig following him. Whereas, is this still Spanian that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's Spanian. But like, there's other, uh, there was a lawyer, I can't remember his name, and I'm pretty sure it was proven that he was the biggest cocaine importer in the country by a mile. And because he was just such a boss lawyer, I think he only got a year in jail. When he finally got caught, he was able to distance wow. himself so much from production and cover his tracks legally that all they could get him on was a year and it was some bullshit technicality when he was clearly guilty as sin. Whereas Spaniard is just in, walking in around being like, right? fuck it's yeah, always... pimp coat. Huh?
0: It's always in movies and TV shows. It's always like... We know this guy's the drug kingpin. We just we just can't get him. We need that evidence. It's like, what do you what evidence do you need, man? Like how do you know that he's the kingpin and then you can't actually convict the guy? What are you waiting for? I don't know. Yeah. I I, I know. think here I'm just totally shitting on the the law and order. I've watched too much Law and Order SVU. I, really? I, I can't like yeah, I I know they're up to season 22. I've pretty much watched all of it. And um, after a while, you get frustrated. It's like, come on. You've got enough evidence. Put them away. <laughs> put him away, Benson. You know he's a rapist.
1: What? Is it the same story over... It's pretty much like Scooby-Doo for adults. Do you start seeing the same plots after 22 seasons?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But they change it up enough. They... they. N- they uh, make each of the episodes relative to the time period. So they did a lot of cases about the pandemic, and they did some interesting ones about how uh, social media has influenced a lot of cases. So the, the the general sort of traits of the perpetrators are the same. And then they did one the other day of uh, um, a woman actually being physically and emotionally abusive to her boyfriend, and that was good. I'm glad they're changing things up good to After see some quality in, in the world of abuse. <laughs> oh, they had female abusers before. But this one was, she was, she was uh, an art critic and she was always talking about how oh, it's important to have diversity. But then turns out behind the scenes, she was um, pegging her husband without his uh, consent. And, you know, aren't good on them.
1: Grim. What did Ice-T have yeah. to say about all
0: this? Oh, you know Ice-T, he's a man of very few words. <laughs> got, got another one. I'll check it out. It's always like... Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it. There's a crime scene, and then like, the, there's just some very disgruntled, lugubrious police officer talking to Ice-T, saying, mm-hmm. body's on the floor, been here five hours. It's just very, very deadpan. Never just one cop having a happy day, you know. Hey guys, good to see you. You know, back from my three weeks sabbatical. Here's the a dead body, but no, it's always just very deadpan. I think it's also a New York thing. And then and then Olivia basically asks Ice T what happened, and then Ice T's like, Captain, the usual perp, black male, thirties. We got two bodies, and it's just like very very abrupt, very concise, and to the point, and very deadpan. Um what well, is that his career? You know is it I'm just sure reading out police stats? More is
1: that
2: or less, his entire yeah, They're giving him a
0: little career. bit more of a backstory. What oh, yeah, look, I mean I don't think gig. he has the range of Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, his name's Ice T. He was also in <laughs> Rick and Morty as a as a as a what was he? He's just like a he was an ice asteroid that lived forever and saved the earth. From a impending missile, from because the Earth failed this uh, planet, this planet um, talent contest. (laughs) I love Rick and Morty. Anyway, you got to watch. How did he get
1: that career where it's just like Ice Tea is a cop, Ice Tea is a meteorite. It's
0: just Ice Tea (laughs) as (laughs) something. He's got a great range, doesn't (laughs) he? Well, it's so like you got to look when they're like they make roles for that man. How? Huh? That's that's literally what they do. I mean, every time LL Cool J has done a role, it's it's just him. Every time look <laughs> Ludacris through ludicrous. Fast and Furious is ludicrous. I don't think there's any acting going on there.
1: <laughs> is that even who he is in Fast I mean, and who Furious? I don't know. Is he just called ludicrous?
0: <laughs> Did they give him a name? I mean, is he he he's just ludicrous and he drives cars? Well, wait, ludicrous in real life probably drives cars. <laughs> real well no i don't know i haven't watched fast and furious for a while but he's been in all of, i think he's been in all of them he's been in all of the ones with vin diesel i think vin diesel and the rock don't like each other because like i can see why the rock basically just you know infiltrated the franchise and is just a better version of vin diesel in every way Yeah, like, it's, it's just better looking brutal, buffer taller yeah yeah it's f- a bit more famous just oh everything about Vin Diesel the rock is just it, just a better version of that i've never heard someone make that connection
1: but i think everyone was thinking it weren't they no one wanted to admit it cuz you think that vin diesel's probably a good guy he's probably had some hiccups along the way but uh he's he's turned out all right so you don't want to say like yeah there's there's no real need for you you know that's
0: mm. it's fin so- diesel is like <laughs> al-qaeda and then the rock is isis you can't oh, get see, any yeah. like. there's no more extreme than the rock really nah nah you're
1: right i don't really like that mm. next generation of uh action hero though which i suppose is the rock the british guy look Do i you, get where they're going where they thrown. kind of well, you know how they're just a bit too tongue-in-cheek about their roles? They're sort of making fun of the fact that they are action heroes. They have to be a bit self-aware. But that was what was sick about Van Damme and Schwarzenegger was that they weren't. Even though they had like ridiculous accents, um, and everything they said was funny, the fact the reason it was funny is because they were serious. You know? But now, like mm. when you see these guys now, they are making little jokes along the way. No, what mm. would be funny is if you were as, uh, like, like, if you were the rock, as in like WWE rock in all of your
0: action movies, that would be funny. With the eyebrows and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he comes in. He's, in the, he's in the convertible. He slides in with a burnout, like, the, <laughs> he's got the. Eye. Yeah, the undies. It doesn't even smell. have like shoes. <laughs> yeah, can
1: Let <you> it <laughs> be better. I honestly, I thought that that was so. Look, I love Kindergarten Cop. I think it's a great film, but Schwarzenegger should have never done comedy. He shouldn't have merged those two worlds together. It,
0: it was much better. No, when... He lost his allure. Yeah. He should have also never done politics. Yes. Actually, he should have done, you know, he's better off in politics than comedy. That's uh, <laughs> that's how bad he was in Kindergarten cop. <laughs> what was the one with Danny DeVito? Twins. Was that Kindergarten cop? No, I think it was Twins, twins. Oh, yeah, and... Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Wasn't the one where Arnold Schwarzenegger was pregnant also had Danny DeVito? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it to stupid. Isn't it? How do you go from the Terminator to being pregnant? <laughs> what a career arc! Do you reckon you know, like the Illuminati said said to him, "Ah, you want to get into politics? Okay, well we're going to make you be pregnant in this movie." No, I don't want to. I am alpha male. Oh yeah, well, (laughs) (laughs) but what's the the power? You're gonna do it.
1: (laughs) I just don't understand the jump. Like,
0: I don't know. Just make him just to see how much he really wants to be the governor, the Uh, governor, the (laughs) (laughs) governor. Right, just a passage. He was pretty funny at the time. Yeah. Don't be a girly man. Pay your taxes.
1: Yeah, in playing into it, but, you know, originally those one-liners that everyone loves and uh, movie history, like, uh, I don't know, when he's running away from German shepherds chasing after him while there's guys in helicopters shooting machine guns at him and he's running through the snow and then the two uh, German shepherds catch up to him and then he slams their skulls together and says stay and then just keeps running <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, you <can't> imagine imagine <laughs> having done like Harvard Harvard writing school to come up with a line like that. <laughs> 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 studied the art of comedy writing. <laughs> but that's the thing. I, that's the thing. You
1: it, a wasn't it wasn't comedy. It wasn't comedy. Like that was supposed to be a serious yeah. line, as in, "Wow, Arnold Schwarzenegger's cool." That's what made yeah, it script funny. Writer for... just...
0: The the, the scriptwriter for any of those uh... non-self-aware action movies would have had the easiest job. But just a cool know. one line so it probably then got a job doing the um lines for the CSI Miami guy oh surely. I, I watch compilations of that guy <laughs> just like <laughs> the guy, they're like the glasses oh, there a, we got a gamer and his his buddies on the ground <laughs> looks like it's game over yeah uh. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And then just shots of chicks in bikinis. <laughs> <Like>, CSI Miami. <laughs> what a show.
1: <laughs> Do you think they're self-aware? Are they... Is he saying that as a joke or is he... Like, is the game over line trying to be cool or is the game over joke... Is it a joke? That's what I'm asking.
0: Um, I reckon... I reckon that guy, as an actor, would be thinking, "I gotta, I've got to commit to this. I've got to take this as seriously <laughs> as I possibly can." And he probably, he probably re- rehearsed that line twenty times over. Like, this is my big break.
1: Why? Hang on. Why do you reckon those? I'm gonna.
0: Why?
1: Yeah. Sorry, you're kind of like blurring out. I was just Did
0: gonna. Say, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go. uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it blurs out, um it's it's fine, but it's still recording everything. Mm-hmm. Um Yes. Lockdown. Yes. Oh uh, um, yeah.
1: with with those lines, like the stay line and the yeah. game over line. Why do you think those are funny? Because they're cliche, but they're self-aware. No, they're not though. Like this, I swear to God, the stay line isn't, there was a time. That's what I'm saying. Like the eighties. I think that's why our generation really likes the (laughs) eighties at the time. That (laughs) was was not a joke. But I think that's the other thing is when you watch things from say Hmm. 2010 Things from 2010 aren't funny. Things from the early 2000s are funny. Things like, I don't know, Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park. And that kind of ear is funny now. But again, I think it's because it wasn't You self-aware. reckon Linkin Park is funny? Yeah, dude. I think that that is. I've got a joke Wait. in my stand-up show about it. I think it's just like, that is just an entire album of a 12-year-old yelling at their mum to get out of their room.
0: That but that's what those genres were that it was like linkin park and Eminem Ooh. just encapsulating middle class boy rage yes because it was the shit you you listened to when you were pissed off at your mum and yes. so you locked your door fuck you fuck you mum and then if you were ethnic you listened to 50 cent as well and then if you were white you listened to yeah limp biscuit or i it don't was know 50 one cent. of the screamo bands yeah
1: but 50 Cent wasn't get the fuck out of my room, mum, was it? 50 Cent was just, I'm yeah. into club for six albums. <laughs>
0: yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> See, how come that guy never gets killed? He's got a song called In Get in My Car. And the line is like, I got no pickup lines, I stay on the ground. I tell the hoes all the time, bitch, get in my car. (laughs) (laughs) His backing track goes, bitch, get in. (laughs) Like some award-winning producer mixed that (laughs) and probably went to Juilliard Music School. Uh one Amazing. more time 50. Can you say bitch get in one more time? <laughs> bitch giddy. <laughs> that's the best part. Every time I've done a comedy um rap song, the 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 most fun I have is is when you do the um the ad-libs. Uh so the song recorded and then you just do it where you're like, "Yeah. Fuck yeah." <laughs> if you do an Aussie rap. What up, cut? <laughs> I don't best Why do you part. think Why do
1: you think they add those to rap? Because I suppose it fills the air, but again, those ad-libs, I know exactly what you're talking about, but they're funny. They're not cool. I don't know if they're supposed to be, they're definitely not supposed to be funny.
0: So what's the point of adding them? They're both. Because they're funny to us.
1: What well, so you think but, 50 Cent listens to the bitch get in? And he's just like, yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> mad.
0: Like Imagine if he was a like a stickler, if he spent like four hours trying to perfect that line. Because I know Kanye West when he recorded um when Kanye West recorded My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. He took you know he took all the people involved in the album uh on this month long getaway. He was a total perfectionist, being really um just you know officious about every little word that he said. I love it, fifty cent was like that he's like, yo, man, this is my art, man, we gotta get this right <laughs> and it's like fifty we've been in the studio for ten hours." <laughs> We have a thousand mm. renditions of you saying mm. "bitch, kitty," <laughs> <laughs> and look, man, third th- third best selling album of all time, The Massacre. Was it? Because it was just before all the um, yeah, because it was just before all the uh, you know, illegal downloads and things like that. Third best selling album of all time. I'm pretty sure it's Thriller by Michael Jackson. I think either a Metallica album or it was a it was a, it was a rock album, and then it's Fifty Cent. The <laughs> How could it It worked. (laughs) How?
1: Oh, man. That is such a sad indictment on humanity, isn't it? Like, you can imagine Michael Jackson (laughs) and what was it, the Stones or the Beatles? Those kind of do deserve to be up there. And um... then number three, get rich or die trying. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, the other one it was the. It was the mass, the massacre. Oh, the massacre the sequel! Yeah. How could I forget? <laughs> I take you to the candy shop. Look, man, it was it was great music.
1: <laughs> yeah, but was it third best album of all time? <laughs> th- it's such a
0: big call. It's yes. the third gra- Okay, and Neil's making it now. <laughs> yeah, man. It's the, it's, 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 it's the music critic in me says, look, that was a brilliant <sighs> album. Come on. Don't you think
1: even Eminem's albums where he's, again, it is just 12 songs of fuck you, mum, get out of my life. <laughs> Those are better songs. Like uh, what well, well, Encore. Wasn't that the yep. album? No, the Eminem show.
0: That was the best Surely one. That's that the best was of his so albums my- by far.
1: Yeah. Don't you think that deserves to be number three more than I'll take you to the candy yeah, but... shop and PIMP? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, PIMP was in the one before. PIMP was oh, in okay. Get Rich or Die <laughs> But I'm um, yeah, And uh, perfected uh... his art yet?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so good. See, this is what I'm saying. Like...
0: adjustments. So.
1: St- <laughs> His whole career is a joke. It's just
0: like it's something <laughs> to laugh at now. But it's I like, reckon most of the so many American celebrities are kind of famous because they're a half joke. Not that they're a joke, but they're just they they have a, an, an enigma about them that makes them stand out from the crowd. So it's not necessarily that they're the most talented in a given field, but they stand out the most. So take someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is he objectively the best? action actor out there probably not there's probably some other metrics by which you could measure his action hero acting compared to some other action hero i mean how do you then measure action hero acting skill but he had a funny accent mm. and that brought it that just people were interested in that and then when he went mm. on talk shows i'm sure it was very interesting and also he was an amazing bodybuilder like best probably like one of the best bodybuilders of all time um, that was really his uh his art. That was his uh craft, bodybuilding. Yeah, and then he yeah. just waltz in into acting to because he probably got the offers to do it. He never was no, an actor. No,
1: no, no. He didn't. Look, have that man offers. actually
0: has had a fantastic career. Huh? Body, Mister Universe, something like he. That man has really had a fantastic life, hasn't he? Like Mister Universe, multiple times megastar Hollywood celebrity, governor of the biggest state in the country, <laughs> and then went back into acting. <laughs> he has what had what a, can you do? You can't.
1: But you know what? You do read his autobiography and you realise, no, he the Bill Bird joke is right. The Bill Bird joke summed up that man's entire life perfectly. But... If you need an extension of Mm. that, his autobiography- Have you read? Huh? You've read it, have you? Yeah, yeah. But that man well and truly earned everything he got. I do agree with you, though. And I think even he says it himself- it really had nothing to do with him being a bodybuilder. He was able to, because he was, except for the fact that the huge amounts of discipline that it takes to be that level of bodybuilder Mm. that helped, but no, his ticket to stardom was the fact that he has a funny accent and that's it. Because if you think about it that, okay, let me give you this example. (laughs) Him with James Cameron, looking at the Terminator script, isn't this amazing? He wanted to play the hero. James Cameron listens to him for maybe five minutes and goes, uh, how about you play the robot? And then he he's, he still hasn't made this connection in his head today, <laughs> 50 years down the track. He was just like, James said that it's actually more challenging to play the robot than
0: the man. <laughs> and he still well, believes so it. So James didn't take him seriously. So- no. So is James Cameron a a, a theatre, not a a film snob, that thought? Ah, look, just you be the robot.
1: Yeah, yes. that's a
0: challenging role for you, yes. Arnie. Yes, be yes, the robot. Yes. yes, he's not English. I don't know why he talks like that. But wow! And then he was like, "But that's the it. Yeah, he's he's correct. I really nailed the robot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, to his credit, <laughs> that was a he classic, did. man. You know, every comedian from pretty much the 90s to probably only five years ago, uh, you kn- you knew they were a hack impressionist if they could do an Arnie impression because it's a, it's a really easy impression to do. Get out, get out of the chopper.
1: <laughs> it I'm is. running
0: for governor of California. <laughs> it's just, it's easy. It is. and you But, know but what it else? still would get laughs because it's like, imagine Arnie if he was, I don't know. Aren't you having sex? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, I can't get out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: works. It's like, yeah, it's a tried and true method. You're right. I don't know. I really don't know why. I, I See, these are the things that keep me up at night, though. Like, why is that man specifically so (laughs) hilarious? You know, like I can't, that's, that's the thing. Like I get the accents funny, but a lot of people have funny accents.
0: I love that. Like you're enduring this uh, infamous uh, defamation case. And what keeps you up at night is "Hmm, (laughs) what makes Arnold Schwarzenegger funny? (laughs) 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 Girlfriends. But I can't answer it. It doesn't do it am. Your girlfriend's like, Jordan, are you okay? I can't, I can't find the answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, that's not too far from the truth, well, as well.
0: Look, I think, okay, what makes Arnold Schwarzenegger funny? He's unintentionally funny. It's not as sort of. He really toes that line between you're laughing at him, but you also. Greatly admire the man. Yeah. So y- you're laughing with... Mm, you're not laughing with him too, because I don't think he's intentionally trying to be funny. But he no, commands especially so much respect. In, and, in the 80s, he
1: definitely wasn't trying to be funny. No. Hmm. But then again, the 80s... I don't... The 80s just wasn't... There's a point, actually, that I was thinking about recently you can't make movies like you can in the 80s because there's just a... There was a... You can't be that sincere. You can't be that sincere in a film anymore. You can't be that sincere in any sort of media. In fact, even from the 90s, I remember when there was the reboot of Friends... And Friends, like the opening scene was just them going like, "Ah, playing around in a fountain. And then just making some smile at the camera being like, and that was the poster that sold Friends. Those six guys going. And then they made the reboot Mm. of Friends. And then they've all got this face of being like, seriously? They've got that smug dickhead look that can only be described as like, you know, 2010 to now of like mm, mm. this is weird that's permeated mm. society now you can't make a movie like tom cruise's cocktail or uh i i don't fucking know like true lies or something you, it's impossible
0: it's like mm. uh, so in their attempt to try and be avant-garde and maybe break the fourth wall they've just come across as Smug and pretentious, and you know what, I know I know what you, you mean that mentality is it's gross it's uh there's a certain magic that comes with um popular culture that is now dissipated, yeah because gone. yeah, people are trying too hard to either be political or uh uh overtly in- intellectual, and you know it's look it's a movie that you're trying to sell to a bunch of overweight Americans. I mean, forget the political message. Just entertain them, you know? But would they be entertained by it now?
1: Is this a Hollywood thing or is this actually a societal thing where you can't... Because the other thing, actually, you know what? I think Mm. it might be because the other thing is I think that there's something about the whole I get it, I'm being self-aware thing that's just naturally defensive. You're kind of... Before the criticism comes in saying like, no, it's okay. I know I'm shit. Mm. I don't know what the difference was in the eighties. I think maybe it's because there wasn't the feedback that immediately happened after you released a film. And if you were in Hollywood, you were in your own little bubble or something. So Maybe you had the space to be optimistic, but it's just also the decade. In fact, actually, you know what? That's what like that 2008 period was as well. Uh, Apparently there was messages throughout all of Hollywood because the global financial crisis hit that you're supposed to be pumping out Mm. kind of like, like a a vibe of awesome and optimism. That's why you had songs like G6, for instance, (laughs) That Don't you reckon the song G6 really sums right. up, like, 2008?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I think G6 actually came a year after. I think G6 was 2009. Something like and that. And it would make sense that after the crash of 2008, there's this sudden bout of optimism that slowly petered out, and you realised it was just another bubble on top of a bubble that had already burst. And now we're still... Nothing's fully recovered. Yeah, still in the boat. A lot of things being propped up. That's why we need to go to the cocaine currency. But um Yes. I know what you mean, man. I think it's partly insecurity as well. I know uh when I make social media posts or uh do things that I I suspect could get some pushback or criticism. Um I try and be self-aware and uh, you know ironically self-aware like hey I'm doing an I'm doing a sponsored video but <laughs> I'm aware of it I'm a sellout <laughs> mm. which is actually it's it's, it's sort of it's emblematic of an insecurity if anything just look you've chosen to do this do it do it properly <laughs> you know mm. funnily when I take I think uh, a lot of men who take, um, you know, fuckboy-esque selfies, uh, or just mirror selfies where they're doing the, you know, the that kind of model phase, a lot of them will accompany accompany and myself included with, uh, uh, you know, quotes or uh, a description that is mocking people who do that but that's really just a shield from criticism because if someone says oh that's so that's so pathetic why are you taking a mirror selfie well no it's a joke i'm making fun of people who take mirror selfies maybe it's the same yeah. thing with friends by the time they got to their 40s they had seen enough articles uh talking about how friends uh it was it was you know it was too commercial and it had it's lost touch and it's uh grossly um formulaic, so they had been inundated with all that, so by the time I got to two thousand and ten they they said, mm, we know what we're doing, but we're being we're being edgy about it. yeah, do you think there's some truth to that?
1: yes, Ugh, that's so pathetic, isn't it? So it really is just <clears throat> what you're seeing there then is hmm. Ego defense is actually – that makes a lot of sense because ego defense really shows that you are insecure and insecure isn't an attractive trait. Whereas when you see someone like Schwarzenegger who is making corny lines but they're hilarious but he's serious about it, Hmm. there's confidence to that. It's railing confidence. In fact, if you see like a lot of the social media personalities that really just become these obsessions for a long time. Actually, Spanion's a good example of that. What's that other guy from the Gold Coast that just looks really gold coasty and has Botox lips and he was big a while ago, Kurt someone or something?
0: Um Oh Kurt uh, oh what's oh isn't that crazy? People just f- forget forget them that quickly. Um Coleman, Kurt Coleman.
1: Kurt Coleman. But the reason that he was funny is because he wasn't aware at all. And there was an there was actually like an air of innocence that came around his confidence that was endearing. And also, like, you kind of want to be part of their world. Like, even though you're laughing at Arnold Schwarzenegger doing those action hero one-liners, like, how much do you want to be That's the other thing that I see when I see, like, a rock movie as opposed to a Schwarzenegger film. Every time I see the Schwarzenegger film, I'm always like, I wish I was there. I wish I was in that world. That world seems fun. And then you watch, like, a rock one where he's kind of just sitting around making the kind of, like, a (laughs) action hero, am I right? He's like, you're ruining it. It's not – I don't want to be there. It seems kind of fucking Mm -hmm. lame. Even – Though, like the camera angles are better and the explosions are better, and it doesn't look cheap anymore, it's technically better, but it's kind of lost us. As you were saying, it's mm. broken the
0: fourth It's almost this uh, tightrope between a, the the genre and a parody of the genre, but they don't. Yes, they're neither making a sincere parody. Nor are they uh, committing fully to the genre itself. No.
1: Yeah, they're in a horrible no-man's mm. land. What is that?
0: Is that... did you, It says that it's still recording you anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, nah, it's still recording. That's yeah. so strange. That's yeah, a, because... With this new software, you know what? I'm not going to even cut this out. Let the people know the technical difficulties. Damn lockdown. Um, this software is really cool. Uh, it it uh, simultaneously uploads while recording. So it's obviously taking a lot of bandwidth. Um, so right now on the screen I'm seeing, I can no longer see Jordan. But by the time the people who... But it's recording the video, so... Uh, everyone's gonna actually see you by the time this gets out, so I'm just talking shit. <laughs> there you are. He's All back. right, uh, thanks for booking. So Bloody NBN.
1: Yeah, it is crap. What's isn't? going on? I don't know. You know what? I'm really glad. I, th- I think I think you're onto something here. This is something that actually does keep me up. I'm always thinking about that 80s, 2010 period. Why are they particularly something else that I think is always the, the, I, I think back to is um like ACDC. A C DC is hilarious. You see one of their so, like concerts where they've they're playing hell's bells or something in a giant ACDC bell is slowly descending onto stage and there's 30,000 people being like, yeah! and they just start singing hell's bells to that and then he starts swinging on the bell being like,
2: hell's bells!
1: And everyone's going nuts at that. <laughs> that-
0: <laughs> <laughs> and like... Yeah, you just can't do that today, can you?
1: Yeah, it's just, it would be... I don't know, this is the whole thing. You can do it.
0: You can, but no one does. How about this? Do you think that there were three separate worlds prior to, say, the year 2000? There was commercial pop culture that was purely designed to make a profit and appeal to the everyman. There was politics. And then there was, I guess, high art. And what you're seeing from from 2010 with, I guess, the hipster movement is the synthesis of all three. So they're trying to combine that trifecta into one artistic product. So it's 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 high art because it's layered and it's self-aware and it's a, simultaneously a parody of pop culture, but also being pop culture. And it's also political, but then it's also trying to make money. You can't, look, there are some amazing instances where people have managed to do all three, but not with such a sort of, not so, it wasn't so blatant that that's what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to spell it out to the audience. Hmm. Do you think that's it? That it's, a, you know, pe- people try to shove too much into pop culture and the audiences started picking up on it? Because it's sort of a catch 22 if you didn't.
1: I suppose that's the whole thing is that you're you're sort of moving towards the age of there not really being a pop culture. There is a pop culture, but it's artificial now. As in someone just on TikTok can get many, many, many more views than a movie that you've spent $200 million on. And so all of the articles and all of the advertising around it, yeah, it's there, but is anyone actually reading it?
0: Does anyone care? Does anyone care that this person mm. was, yeah? That's a good point. I was just about to—I was just going to say because the '80s, I suppose, the '60s was when pop culture was inherently political. People mm. really admired that, and the boomers really looked up to a lot of rock stars, singers, actors who had a very strong political message. And then in the '80s, I guess. I'm guessing, I'm not an expert in this, obviously, but you saw less of that. And there was a distinction between, I suppose, just pure commercial art and then politics and culture. And then maybe through the 2000s, you saw a sort of reaction against that, which was, well, we can kind of go back to the 60s and and, and have, you know, cool art, but but still keep it a little bit, still keep it pretty commercial and, and have, you know, boutique media offices in, well, whatever the LA version of Surrey Hills is. Yeah. But they're still just looking to make a profit at the end of the day. Which they were in the, look, I'm sure in the 60s they were too, but I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to ask the um, the icons of the the, the pop culture icons of the 60s. Were you trying to make money or were you? actually just uh putting out a message and it happened to make money i'm sure they'd say the latter but i think it's sort of don't know if that's the truth yeah yeah
1: you're right i don't know if that's the truth but you're right like in the 80s it was that was the other thing as well that see this is every personally i'm just a huge man of extremes it's kind of like my philosophy about I don't know, cities, I think I've said it before, but I would much prefer if Sydney looked like Blade Runner all throughout or it was just the Blue Mountains. I hate that sort of middle ground area of just endless Masterton homes, you know, that's the really scary one, that little middle Mm. ground. And I think that that's what was impressive about the 80s. It was just so unapologetically commercial. And it was mad because it was really just selling you the most idyllic picture that they could possibly
0: conjure. Mm. Um, I you really have to admire that. It would have been fun to be our age in the in the eighties, and and to be you know not poor because it would have just been a fuck ton kind of partying and going to hectic movies. All the all the you know the, oh the new Star Wars coming out in the I don't know why we'd be American theaters, but, you know. <laughs> new star wars coming out yeah. have you heard of this arnie guy let's do cocaine let's make jokes that no one's going to get offended by damn those people those boomers we always make fun of on facebook are correct the 80s were better they were
1: and you know what actually i think that's the di- that's what people are always saying about look boomers from the 60s that's really what you've got now which is the pathetic side of both worlds which is the thing that you always hate as well and i think the average person is really averse to the whole social justice movement is there because it's commercial friendly so that as you're saying they're trying to invoke the spirit of the 60s but not actually talking about the messages of the 60s which was like anti-nuclear proliferation anti-war uh you know, anti-development, you know, pro the environment, like the things that actually aren't are adverse to making money. Like if you talk about those things, they're all the companies that are doing that shit. So they're not going to fund you, you know, but Mm. if you You sit there and then just like lecture people about racism and shit, those companies will fund that, that, that doesn't
0: uh, impede their profit margin at all the uh, establishment is trying to sell counterculture. Yeah. Because then you don't feel guilty as a consumer because you think, well, I'm consuming this, but it's got a positive social outcome. When it might, but it's being sold to you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's not counterculture if it's sponsored by, uh, I don't know, Vodafone. Well, the ultimate
1: of that, don't you think, was, I can't remember which one. Let's just say it was Khloe Kardashian. Remember, she was in the new Pepsi. That was the thing, that, that decline. Because you saw Pepsi in the days of, I don't know, Michael Jackson or something. And it was just, again, unapologetically, this is the biggest celebrity on earth selling Pepsi. That was the app. Just that, you know, like... Michael Jackson's mm. mad, so is Pepsi. Uh, then it got to like your Chloe Kardashian age, and it was this uh, ad where there was cops lining up, and then there was all these people just railing against the cops, and then she comes in the center and then just holds up a can of Pepsi, and it's just like, joined the conversation. It's so right. They're like trying to sell... Isn't that fucked? Oh. Isn't that
0: so fucking bad? Just. It hurts the. the the. It's, if there it's are horrible. It's all grievances it? off the movement. It hurts it, the movement.
1: <laughs> but that's all. There is no fucking movement. <laughs> so There's cringe. no movement they're advertising there. They've got these vague notions of like racism and <laughs> cops and that kind of shit, but they're not saying it. And. Again, it's all. Mm. It's all corporate friendly stuff. That's, that's now, that's now they're trying to sell two messages at once. It's the reason that I have a real pet peeve with pedestrian, for instance. Uh, I think that actually people are kind of just relating to it. I think that recently the whole thing of Kyle and Jackie O becoming number one rated radio show in the country, they have actually made a real point of being like, no, we're just pretending it's the fucking nineties. Like, we're We're not playing mm. into like pop culture of now. It's kind of just a hark back to then and unapologetically so. And I think that that's the whole thing. It's just like, dude, either be commercial or be counterculture. Don't fucking pretend you're both. That's the that's so egregious. It's so mm. that's mm. truly the offensive thing. That actually offends me. like yeah. when, And even then, I'm looking at your face now, and it's like scouring at the thought of it. I think the average human being looks at that and is (laughs) appalled. (laughs) Mm. And that's sort of pop culture now.
0: Yeah, because we were sort of imbued with the messages of the 60s because, well, our generation, you know, our parents probably came of age in our period. Mm. Mm. But then we still have the sort of infrastructure of the 80s at play. Mm. Mm. So we've come through with the social message and the, you know, the 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 urge for change and for revolution and uh coming together, fighting the establishment. But then we're also trying to sell it and make it profitable. And then the sort of the powers that be, Gen X is sitting there, that, who are now in positions of power over the millennials and Gen Z, trying to espouse these ideas, saying, "You yeah, know, this, fine, this is great. We'll if it makes money, we'll sell it." Damn, it's a weird. It's 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 weird, isn't it? It's weird. Yeah, the establishment is. Well, when I say the establishment, I I just you know. Pop culture is trying to sell counterculture. Like counterculture is now pop culture, and conservatism is counterculture. I don't know what, what being being far right is counterculture, because if there's mm. anything that's mm. Mm. not commercially friendly, it's that. Like Israel Falau is counterculture. Because he's saying, no, nah, fuck the con- fuck the million dollar contract. Gays are going to hell. <laughs> what a weird world. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, Israel Flowers, is our Muhammad Ali. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that gays are going to hell. That's the message of Jesus. <laughs>
1: It's like, but no, you know what else as well? It's it's another thing of, is Israel Falau really counterculture or is actually he just representing a certain wing of culture? I think that the whole thing was, dude, like really, if you look at it, again, I'll go back to pedestrian. It exists. It's able to pump out a lot of shit. But does it actually have an audience? Is anyone really listening to it? It's the same with a to lot be fair, of fair, these... They
0: defended you. They 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 wrote a few articles defending you through this uh, ordeal. Yeah, I but saw. why?
1: Because it's they did more trendy. than other
0: publications.
1: Yeah, because they can get clicks out of it. But like, mm. there was a article that gave it away, which was they were saying, yeah, this arrest is bad. But let's talk about the real victim here. Me, friendly Geordie's, has pointed out that I suck in the past. This is like, it was just a long ode to that. They're just soulless. Soulless people that have no self-awareness at all. They're, they're, it's actually what we were hinting towards okay. in that question that we're going to answer in a couple of weeks. But that class of people, in fact, actually, let me just loop this in. I think that I've been looking at this. The reason that Kyle and Jackie O are now number one and Ben Fordham is number two, when historically 2GB has been the powerhouse of radio uh, in Australia and Mm. so effective at winning elections. Like Alan Jones was the voice of Western Sydney. You look at it now and they're all saying, oh, they're all woke. They're all bloody lefties now. I think I know what they mean by that. You know what they actually... Always wondered, what the fuck does that mean? What they mean by lefty and woke, it's actually just... The divide is really haves and have-nots. Like, 2GB is aimed at Westies and pensioners. It's aimed at the lower rungs of society. And Alan Jones knows how to speak to those people and then you have someone like ben fordham who went to riverview and then his dad was the manager of a pr consultancy firm or whatever and then they're just like there you go ben you're one of us you can be the voice of the people now no you're from that fucked elite class that has never been you you couldn't locate penrith on a map you don't know how these people think and so they're kind of moving away from that because they've got no one speaking to them culturally anymore. And they're just thinking, all right, well, if no one's going to address our issues, because I've listened to Ben Fordham's radio show, it's just him and Gladys Berejiklian sitting there being like, yeah, yeah, manly sea eagles. Yeah, we both support that. Oh, you go to school in manly? Oh, I grew up in manly. All right, see you tomorrow, Western Sydney. You know, they're just, they are just they don't belong in that world at all, but they're so arrogant that they think that they can speak to these people. I think that that's what's happened, is that people well, have mean, just thought...
0: Yeah. I was say, would you say that previously the, the, fi, the, the financial elites or just people in the upper class would also be the cultural elites? So they'd be the ones dictating the appropriate morality to people underneath them in financial and class status. Whereas now there's almost these two separate elite groups. There's, well, there's the financial and political elites, but then there are also cultural elites. And a lot of these people aren't exactly that rich. You know, they maybe work in media companies in in Sydney and Melbourne and Sure, they might be on a hundred, hundred and fifty, maybe two hundred thousand a year, but that's not, you know, that's not elite level wealth in Australia. Um, so they think they're, you know, being counterculture and finding the power because they're looking upwards to see the billionaires and the people making ten million as the CEO of ANZ or whatever. Because what they don't realize is that, you know, ninety plus percent of Australians, I'm assuming probably make under two hundred thousand dollars. I don't actually know the stats, but mm. Mm. that's that's my guess. But also, um, I'm pretty sure the average income in Australia is still it's 70, 70K, k. I think something like that, seventy k after tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I think yeah you you're right. But I think that the people that are in those media companies. They are of the elite class. They're just sort of the losers of the elite class. They're the ones that were too shit to take up a board, you know, as in just because you're the son of someone who owns, I don't know, an accounting firm doesn't mean you're smart enough to run the accounting firm. You might be able to get there with the connections that you have, uh, and and clobber over people that are more deserving of it, but you still need to have some level of intelligence and focus to run a multinational corporation. But if you are in those circles of media, I really do think, and it's just very obvious looking at them and their attitudes to worlds, it's always like, you went to a private school, but you were picked on. I think those are the people that are Mm. sort of in charge of the media. So they still are from that world. They're still so removed from. I would really like to see how many people at nine Fairfax, uh, you know, grew grew up in the outer West or like regional Australia. I really think that it would be fuck all. I think that the vast, vast, vast majority of them either went to like elite country private schools or elite city private schools.
0: We'd also have to say say where in regional Australia there are some very wealthy areas in yeah. the bush. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I bet you they're Hectare just like hunters. I grew up in the <laughs> bush and it's like,
1: yeah, what, you had an estate
0: in Armadale? Was that it? Yeah, it'd be that. <laughs> you know one of my one of my um a girl I dated a couple of years ago. Uh I was I was just having like playfully arguing with her about um who's more ghetto or something and then she was like well i grew up in africa so i think i'm the most ghetto and then she literally grew up on an estate with like holy (laughs) fuck all these black servants (laughs)
1: was she joking she wasn't joking she was trying to prosecute the case then
0: i then i just did for the rest of the relationship i did not let that go <laughs> oh and then she shut up, shut up, but damn what so, so it hilarious. didn't ever click to her um not while she was saying, it, I think it just it just came out. I was gonna ask, let's how about we end the podcast on this? Do you think there's a limit to sort of a class lens of of viewing of viewing things? do you think uh, I know class reductionist is a term that's thrown around often? To people who um, might espouse similar political views to to you, I know um, American YouTubers who I watch tend to be frustrated with that with that smear. But do you think there is a limit to seeing the world just as you know? There's there's the upper class, or there's the elite class, and then there's the the working and middle class. Do you no. think? Uh, there's Dude, a lot I more, honestly, I guess variability no, I, in there. No,
1: I think that anyone who says class reductionist, you ask them what school they went to. of the time it would be a private school. That is the key. That really is the key to stratas of Society. It's always just been an upper, middle, and lower class, and the entire tale of history has just been those classes battling against each other. I really don't think that there's much more to it than that. Um,
0: So in Australia, where does the... At what point do the classes divide then? you know, I just threw out that figure before, say an income of two hundred thousand dollars a year is someone who earns more than that upper class would you would you call them that because I don't know yeah. if I would it depends it's more of a lifestyle thing, if anything.
1: Well, see this is the thing, yeah, it's more of a lifestyle thing, but if you're on two hundred thousand dollars a year, you're very, very rich in comparison to most Australians, but Um, Mm. yes, I think that it's more a lifestyle thing and I think these classes now have more shifted towards I don't think it's so much a thing of earning you know Uh, really good examples of that would be, say, in England I don't know if it's the case now, but if you were from an aristocratic class and you were broke you were still from that family whereas A factory owner could have come up from squalor and become one of the richest people in Britain, but he was still a commoner. That's what I'm talking about there. There's like, it's, look, a good example of that now, I suppose, Kyle Sanderlands, people will say, he's on $12 million a year. Yeah, but at one point he was homeless. So he has that bitchy gay man from Darlinghurst twang to his voice now. But it's fused with that single mum from Penrith voice. It's still there. You can't escape it. Do you it's think just there's, you know.
0: Do you would you dismiss anyone who has uh, lived a life of financial privilege and then gone on to achieve things? Is that fair? Because they could still be very good at what they do. Yes.
1: No, and I'm not saying that you can't, but I am saying that it's not necessarily a thing of personal success. Personal success is completely variable to that. As Tony Robbins is always teaching, uh, if you come from the bottom rung of society, you can get to the top. There is that class mobility. And I think that anybody that says otherwise is just looking for excuses to uh, basically not, they're just looking for excuses to justify why they're a loser. I really do think that. I think that no matter where you are, you can move somewhere else. And likewise, people from the top can move down if they don't apply themselves. There is variabilities here. Um, mm. but it's not it's not necessarily a thing of is the success earned or isn't it earned? It's there is a certain way of looking at the world that is bred from elite society as opposed to. From the bottom rungs of society, they have a different way of looking at the world, and so you will never. Both ways, you know, like you won't really, unless you uh, traverse them, unless you go from the Mm. bottom to the top, you won't really understand how these people see the world. That's what I'm talking about. There, so I'm I'm saying, like, uh,
0: yeah, I was just gonna say real quickly with with all the talk of diversity, that's never. You know, there's never talk of class uh, class diversity or class affirmative action or quotas for people who have uh, grown up poor. There's a few scholarships here and there for economic hardship, but there's no one here, at least from my perspective, there doesn't seem to be the same attention um, given to that as, say, no. gender or race.
1: No, Christ no. And there never will be, and it is because the people that are giving out those scholarships are from the elite class, and so they can't see that they're from the elite class and this whole thing of like race and gender that 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 is there because that they are part of the elite class you know so they see
0: everything through do, that paradigm huh do you think it's help? I I don't know because I just I, I don't know if it's I could I definitely agree with what you're saying but it can so easily become I guess a, a resentment for. Uh, for the elite classes and the upper class? Do you think that's a possibility? And then that can be what? a bit unhealthy? What do you mean? Well, if we talk, if, if you know, you could end up just maybe not hating, but automatically thinking lesser of someone, ironically, if they're from that ilk of certain private schools and certain areas in, in Sydney or Melbourne that they grew up in. That's true. You know, is it is it is it yeah? Is it fair to just assume that because they don't have that particular way of, they have their unique way of looking at the world? Um, well, I'm just saying, should like, should we be dis- dismissing them? I'm just saying
1: that how they're always. I think that this this is the thing that I'm always saying when they're always saying something like. You know, Isaac Butterfield's racist, or friendly Geordie's racist, or Neil Cole Hatcar produces stereotypes. They're, they're, it's all those things. You look at what school they went to every fucking time. Top of the class, top of the class hierarchy, always. And it's because yeah. you, me, and I think about this actually, you, me, and Isaac ranging from that sort of working to middle class background. You know? And so the whole thing is that they're sitting there just being like, you should check your privilege when they're at the top of the rung. I don't know. It just yeah. it, I can't so- help but feel fucking resentment towards it because it's just like, they really, this is something that I was thinking about recently, right? Like there was points in my childhood where my parents would be having arguments as to whether they should fill up the pet- the car with petrol or buy me school shoes. You know, these fuckheads sit there and say like, how dare you, you you know, like trying to look down and say that like, you're looking down on people and you're like, you know, like it's just so infuriating that someone from fucking Riverview college can sit there and be like, check your privilege. It's just like, you don't understand that level of economic hardship. That's true hardship. And to be fair, I don't even understand that level, you know. Like, there's people lower than me, but that's like, dude, I, like economic hardship is the real hardship.
0: That's what I think, anyway. Mm. And so, to be fair, I look. I grew up in the in, I guess I went to public schools and things. But my, uh, well, my dad was in finance up until the GFC. So, you know, we were never wealthy, but uh, yeah, you had. He had a, a pretty decent salary, <laughs> but... But it's, again, um, this,
1: like, thing of... It's like what we're saying about people from, like, these media companies that are on 100000 a $150,000. they are not super well off, but they're still of that class, you know? But you grew up in a thoroughly middle-class environment, you know?
0: Yeah, that's... The yeah. suburb
1: that you grew up in, <laughs> so you understand... Well, I remember, like...
0: Huh? I was just gonna say, um I remember one day, I think it was year seven or year six, I can't remember if it was my primary school friends or high school friends, but they came over and they said, Whoa, oh, Neil's house is so big because it was it was two stories and I actually felt insecure about how well off my parents were. And I thought I was really privileged because I was around people that well, okay, you know, they weren't poor, but yeah, they were living paycheck to paycheck. But then, when I actually got into the arts world, and I realised, no, I'm—I'd say I'd be, you know, grew up pretty middle class for Australia. Um, they grew up very privileged. Yeah, that's the
1: difference. Again, I think it's—it's it's, money's not the right way to look at this anyway. I, I, you. I know I keep moving in and out of it and it's because it's, it's murky territory to talk about to begin with, but I do really think that it's more the, the way that you should look at these classes is more how they have in India, like the car system, you know, that's sort of what happens in the rest of the world, but it's not as pronounced, but it's still there. There's still like a way of looking at the world that's there. And it's, it's like, The way that I would look at it is people from that class, there's always just this thing in the back of their mind, first of all, that they're, and it's just sort of inbuilt in the way that they see the world and you can kind of just feel it. They've got two things about them. They've kind of got this complete obliviousness that they have this sort of familial safety net around them that it doesn't really matter how much they fuck up in life. They'll still have their investment properties when their parents cark it. That's always there. And they always have this thing of um, this distinct feeling of superiority over you. You know, I think that that's definitely there. They have this thing of like, I'm better than you because I, I grew up in, you know, this suburb or I went to this school or something like that. That's, that's always there. You can always sense it when you're talking to these people that's what I think anyway. And it doesn't, again, it just doesn't matter yeah. how much money you make after that. There's just sort of a thing of like, you didn't go to that school. You, so they, have it's, it's always like that. And so I think that like the way that they look at society is, as Anthony Albanese says, right? Like they kind of, it's, it's sort of just an academic exercise to them. It's all wank. It doesn't really matter if there's a government in that funds public housing or not to them. That's completely immaterial. It's all just kind of like a thing that they can waffle on about. But if there is a government in there that funds public Mm. housing, that matters a lot to people that need public housing. But there's no skin in the game Mm. for them, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with that last part. I'm not sure if I've had that same experience if there are definitely, look, that stereotype is true where I've, I've met people from, yeah, I, I guess the upper echelons of society that ooze, uh, entitlement and, uh, superiority. But I do think that is a stereotype. I haven't, that hasn't been my experience with everyone I've met that has gone to those schools. um, I just worry if that, you know, is that akin to saying all white men are so entitled and every straight white man has privilege and they look down upon everyone else. Do Do you think there's any similarities there and it could head down that road?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I know that that is something that is like a big blind spot in my life that I do have like a real chip on my shoulder about it. But I think that that was also the fact that I went to a school that had people that were like the bottom of the rung and kids that were at the top. It had every structure uh, of society because it was a performing arts school and art is something that sort of, you know, you can be flat broke and make art and you can be rich and make art. It doesn't really matter in between, right? Hmm. But that is something that I do distinctly remember at school. I do definitely remember the rich kids not not even knowing not even knowing that they had this sense of superiority but they did it was there Anyway sorry it is like kind of just something that like I think you're right okay. I probably am one of those people that's just like it's cuz I'm black isn't it uh, like I do think <laughs> I do I am one of those kids <laughs> no, like it's one of those but like uh, I I honestly like the more that I look at it historically You know, uh, there has been periods of history where, say, I don't know, the Arabs have controlled Europe, or uh, the Chinese had undue influence, or the uh, the Egyptians did. But the one thing that always came with that was wealth. I really think that that's the thing that really drives it's, it's control of resources. And that's the whole thing. When you have a bunch of people from that class in the media, they see the world in that way, which is why it doesn't matter how many times I point out the blind spots of the media. They just come back with, you're a sexist. And it's like, no, you're a fuckhead that doesn't even understand that the way that you were taught journalism is to basically kowtow to your bosses. And they'll just be like, no sexist, you know, that they, they, they'll never be able to see that. Hmm.
0: Anyway, that's my theory. Yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I, I hear you. I, hear you <laughs> here. Uh, I would, I would add that I think we'll say this: if, if I had parents that earned whatever fifty thousand dollars combined, versus parents that earned um, two hundred thousand dollars combined. But the parents that earned the $50,000 were better parents and more loving. Your psychological needs are met as a child. Uh, you have a better extended family support network. I'd choose that life because. Any day. If you've got your basic needs met food, shelter, and then, okay, you don't get to have the luxuries that some of the other kids have. And that might leave you with a chip on your shoulder, all right, because the grass is always greener. But I think that is so much more vital than just whatever income bracket your parents may have been in. Definitely, How good were your parents as parents? Were your psychological needs met? Um, Did they provide a supportive, loving household? And I know plenty of people who had very rich parents but are extremely dysfunctional people because their parents were too busy working or mm. fighting all the time mm. versus there are plenty of people out there often religious uh who, who had a great family life and scraped by they mm. lived paycheck to paycheck mm. um mm. in in look in Australia even the people at the lowest rung of that class ladder can still get a lot of those needs met it's not the same in other countries but mm. i would i would opt for that and there's no discussion of that, you know, if we, if we want to talk about privileges, parenting privilege, uh, sorry, sufficient parenting privilege, who had sufficient parenting when they were, when they were younger, that's a massive privilege for the rest of your life. Hmm. If you had two good parents or you, you don't even have to have two, if you had one good parent, that just, if there was no abuse, if, uh, and also were you bullied maliciously in school, uh, if your childhood and adolescence was generally void of anything traumatic, that's already a step above people who have unfortunately endured that and I think that's a that's a huge yeah it's a privilege it's an advantage in life if if regardless of income if you went through that period uh, without any severe traumatic Occurrences. You need to have little traumas here and there because that's how you build character. But uh, nothing that was debilitating. That will be immensely advantageous for the rest of your life and for your general well-being. Definitely. So I'd like to just, I'd, yeah, I'd add that. But you're definitely right. Um, when you grow up in certain stratas in society, there's there is a way of of, of seeing the world that would almost certainly be different to um, people who grew up in circumstances, financial circumstances different to yours. Yeah, No, it's def- you are definitely, definitely right that? because that's the same experience that I have with virtually
1: everyone that I know from a very wealthy background. They have that same experience. They had shit parents. They really did exactly for that reason that they were too busy making money to actually raise their kids and their kids became little shits but that is more reason as to why they shouldn't have their fucking fingers on the button you know like i really do think that they that a life of luxury starts to rot you so why should somebody who is rotten be in control of things because I I do see that a lot. And that's something that I think is actually the thing that I'm more getting at here. It's, I'm sorry, I'm going too much into the victim thing. It's not so much the victim thing as it is. No, you don't get to look down on anyone because you're a cunt. You don't understand this. You're a cunt. (laughs) I think that's really what's happening there is like what you said, for reasons that are outside of their control a lot of the time. Uh, they they just, I, you know what? It might be that. It might just be a complete dearth of love and a complete dearth of attention. <laughs> they have you bad psychological issues.
0: I think that's Disadvantage it. Disadvantage of a dearth of love. Ah. I think that is it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good that's a good point to, to wrap this one up on. Um thank you very much for listening. If you haven't seen the Bruzz saga already, go and check out Friendly Geordie's channel. Sure most of you have. Uh have a look at his uh incredible documentary about water corruption. Definitely opened my eyes. opened a lot of people people's eyes already, so check that one out if you haven't. Um thank you for watching. Subscribe. See you next time. Bye guys.